All right, if you guys have a Bible, you can uh, turn to Genesis chapter 16, 1 through 16. As a church, we're actually in Ecclesiastes right now, and so, um, but today is a special day. So as you guys all know, it's a day that I'm hoping that goes um, in this particular church's calendar as a day to remember. Something that certainly I've been praying about for over eight years, and it's just one of those things that this is our very first installation Sunday ever at Grace and Mercy. And uh, you guys know we're installing Angela Burke as a pastor here of this church. And I believe, and um, I'm really excited, I think it's uh, something significant, but significant in a way that, like, I don't think that any of us in this room can take credit for, and yet we all can take partial credit for speaking into Angie's life and for her uh, allowing her to speak into ours as well. But um, this is something, though, that the Holy Spirit has been leading us towards for a long time, and I'm super grateful for it. One of the reasons I believe this is because over the years, I've just watched, I've just watched uh, people come to Angie, not just for typical like friendship advice, but for pastoral advice, for advice about scripture, advice about like, what do I think about this? And what do I think about that? And there's been seemed, it seemed to increase over time as I've watched it. And in, in, in a sense, she's already pastoring. And today we just want to recognize that uh, we believe the Holy Spirit is already doing something in and through Angie and in the life of this church as well. And, um, uh, so I truly believe that, uh, this is significant and I'm thankful because, uh, this is, I, after I wrote this, I realized this is going to sound really bad, but, um, one of the things I, about this Sunday is that Angie picked the songs in the text. Like I never let anybody else pick songs or texts or whatever. Texts are normally laid out a long time in advance, but the songs, um, I'm pretty sure everybody's gotten to speak into at one point or another, but um, and so I'm super grateful, Angie, as I was singing that song, I, and I mess up every Sunday, as those that come here normally know, but you didn't pick the songs that I really screw up bad, so thank you for that. Um, so that's a, that's a grace to me. But she picked this text a while ago, and it's been something, um, I would say, I think you mentioned it, man, it might have been October, November, like somewhere a ways ago, that this is a, a significant thing to you, and or significant uh, scripture. And so like, I've been thinking about it, praying about it, like considering it, reading as much as I could on it, obviously not enough, but it, it's um, not a common text that I've ever heard preached in a church. It's not something that I've, I've, I've heard a lot of, and it's something that's kind of been glossed over. But I believe that God has something for all of us here today, not just for Angie, but for all of us, because it's meant so much. But let me read this text and then we'll get into it. Genesis 16, 1 through 16. So it's the the, uh, entire chapter. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram lived 10 years in the land of Cana, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived And then she saw that she had conceived. She looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. 
I gave my servant to, uh, to your embrace, and when she saw that she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power to do to her as you please. Then Sarai, Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man and his hand, and his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against uh, all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bear, I can't pronounce it, Bear Lahaya Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered, or Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called uh, the name of the son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar born Ishmael to Abram. When Have you guys ever wondered what happens to people on the fringe of the fringes of the story? Like what kind of happens? There, there are characters that don't ever get mentioned or they're not talked about or they're not really even seen. They're just like, uh, they're just there and we aren't really paying attention to them because that's not their role in the story. It's like when a movie, if you like, you were in a movie and you were credited with waitress number one or a guy walking dog in park. Like this is just, there would be a place for them in the story, but it, and it would help the story seem more real, but their names and their details don't seem very important to the telling of the story. I've often wondered, and I've often noticed what happens about bit, bit players in stories. I always kind of, Mo knows this about me, but I always kind of like make up their whole backstory. Like we'll drive by somebody and I'm like, you know what's going on right there? And I'll just make up an entire story of it. I've always wondered what what's behind the story, what's going on. And Hagar is one of those people where we see her, but it's like the story in Genesis is Abraham and Sarai, right? And what God's doing in Abraham's line and Hagar's in the story, but she's not the main character in the story of Genesis. That would be Abram. And later it's Abraham. Abram's name is changed to Abraham. They are the main characters that this story follows. And um, we've sung songs about Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons, right? We've had that. And many have been told about him. His name is mentioned a lot in the Bible and his family line is pretty important as Jesus is one of his descendants. And, and, and as we believe, Jesus is the main character of the Bible. But in the story of Genesis, it's like leading up to Jesus through the story, through the, the family line of Abraham. And history um, does this, I, it's actually annoying whenever I read history books. They, they tend to only follow the leaders and powerful people or people who headed movements like the ideas people or the inventors. But it, 
largely disregards common everyday people. He can't really find out much about them, and it certainly doesn't follow those on the margin. And I don't think history will ever really focus on you or me. Maybe a couple of us, I don't know. But the one thing I love about the story of Hagar is that it shows us that God's history is not like human history. He shows us over and over how he feels about everyday people, people who maybe are in the background for most of the story. But God shines a lot light on him, and God knows. Hagar's story is one that shows us uh, how God thinks about us, even if history would pay no mind to us. It, even if, if all of written human history never mentioned our names. And here, however, in Genesis 16, we get a glimpse into this, how God treats or what he thinks about those on the margins, those who are not the main characters but are still in the story. The women who are mentioned um, in Scripture, or there's always interesting stories surrounding them. But honestly, it goes to show how much God cares about these women that they're in the stories because men largely ignored women in those days. And here we have Hagar. She's an Egyptian. And I believe that this is extremely important because it shows that she is not uh, one of Abraham's people or Abram's people. She's a foreigner. She's not the same race or nationality as Abraham and Sarai. And she has been, she, if she had been of the same race and gender as Abraham in the story, we probably wouldn't have heard of her, to be honest. There's, there's other men that Abram traveled with, and it was not a small contingent of people, and he had a camp and many folks who served him and, and went with him. And those who were of the same race and kinfolk were in the picture as well, but they were family members, generally speaking. And they would not have been servants. They would have been kin. They would have been invited to his table, not just invited to make the food for the table. But Hagar was a servant, not kin. And this is important. Here we we see that her skin was different. Her hair would have been different. Her accent would have been different. Her preferences for food would have been different. And she was different. And she was other. And in this story and in that time, she would have been less than. She would have been less than. And unfortunately, again, in human history, those who are different often get treated as less than. But they don't by God. And that's one of the beautiful things about that. If, if you guys have ever looked into slavery in the world's history, usually what happens is slavery is made out of people who are different than the main slaveholders. The world and those who have, as a general rule, not been treated those of similar, they've treated those as similar um, uh, skin color as equals and those of different skin colors as Uh, less than. And the same is true with gender as well. Hagar being an Egyptian and a woman would not have been for her um, any favor throughout history, let alone this story where we find here in Genesis where patriarchy was the normal and the rule of the day. It's listing the lineage of Jesus, the the men that came and that, that that's the line that Jesus came from. And yes, we we can learn a lot from Abraham, right? I mean, I love Abraham, to be honest, and how to trust God and to listen to God and to follow God at all costs. But there's some lessons in Scripture where we are not to emulate them. Amen? And this happens to be one of them. Please don't uh, put Genesis 16 on your wall going, that's just the way I want to live, you know? This story doesn't just involve uh, Sarai, or it doesn't just involve 
Sarite, but it involves her slave, Hagar. And Abraham, or Abram pray, plays a part, but it's not one that paints him in a favorable light, right? Which, and according to the customs of the day, however, his actions in his time would have been acceptable cultural practices, and people probably would have been read it and go, yeah, okay, like that's the way it is. And these details are in the story, but I don't think God ever condones them. I don't think he ever holds up uh, uh, Genesis 16 and says, eh, be like Abraham in this way. It's not, that's not what he's saying. The, he's, he never lifts it up as good or noble. They just are. And this is the beautiful thing about that is that God's kindness to people is never dependent on their own goodness. It's not dependent on our own goodness and our own perfection in life. God's grace is truly... a. Uh, favor that is just given rather than earned. And we can even see that here in Abram's story. But I know that the language of the ESV uses the word servant here to, to depict Hagar, which uh, implies, uh, the word servant implies a certain amount of freedom or will. But Hagar was not a paid servant. She was a slave. And we can see that in the, we can see that in the story. She is offered to Abraham as a possession of Sarai. Hey, she's my servant. I can do to her as I will. And Hagar doesn't have the authority of even of her own life to make her own choices. And she didn't have a say in the matter of her body and what it was used for. She will be offered and used without her say. And she was raped, and the product of that rape was pregnancy. And just like the language of servant, the word wife is used for Hagar that was given to Abram as a wife. But it wasn't the sort of wedding that we dream for for our daughters. Amen. It wasn't like what people grow up to think, oh, yeah, this is what being a wife is about. It would have been at best an arranged marriage of convenience, but that's not necessarily it wasn't agreed to by Hagar and I think wife along with servant is too weak of a word I think wife is too strong of a word that was used here and when Hagar gets pregnant and then she starts to show contempt she is feeling that she's better than Sarai and Sarai gets mad right like I mean not only was she given to Abram but then she got pregnant and she was she uh when she got pregnant, um, her she thought that she was better than Sarai. And because of this, Sarai was harsh to her. And Abram, Abram allows Sarai to be harsh to her. He's like, yeah, go ahead. Like, I mean, she's yours. She's not my wife. She's yours, actually. And do what you do. And so Hagar is abused, and that abuse is heaped on her. And what does she do? She leaves. She leaves. I think just rightfully so. She runs away. She's being abused. She's not being treated correctly. And so she's trying to leave this story. And by the time in this story, I always think like, okay, where is Abraham? The guy that we know, the guy that like all the Bible stories are told of. But by this time in Abraham's story, he has met God. He has followed him. He's been visited by angels. He's seen miraculous things. He'd already tried to save Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. And he still allows Hagar to be abused. Like, so in a lot of ways, like a lot of good stuff we've already seen in Abram is there. But then there's also this other thing. But now in the story, we've seen the actions of mankind. We've seen the way that mankind treats one another, right? In slavery, 
in uh, abuse of others. And yet, here we get to a part of the story where we see how God is really at work, how God views us, how God sees us, how God feels that those uh, about those who are different and those who are other, those who are abused, those who are marginalized, and those who have been dismissed and disregarded and ignored. We see how God feels about those in society. Even if they're sent away from, they're sent away. But the angel of the Lord comes to Hagar. And there are many scholars who believe that Jesus might, it might when it says the angel of the Lord, and it's in capitalized, that it might have been Jesus and, and even if it wasn't Jesus, the angel of the Lord still would have acted on behalf of God's direction in life. It says that the angel of the Lord found her. And I love this word found. It found her. She was found by God. God knew where she was, but God found her. And this was a beautiful thing. And I, I find it interesting because this is the same word that's used in Second Chronicles 34.14 when the book of the law was found. Right after that, there were celebrations where they read from the book of the law and they opened it up and they would read and they were crying and repenting of their sins. And this is the book that the Helkiah, the priest, found, the book of the law that was given through Moses. And that idea of being found was a good thing. And so this idea here with Hagar is a good and a great thing as well. It would be the same word that would be used in the parable of lost things in Luke chapter 15. There was, if you guys remember the story, there was a lost sheep that was found, right? Jesus, or they, the owner of the sheep left the 99 to go after the one and found the one. Or the, the lost coin where uh, they had not 10 coins, but one was lost and they searched the whole house and found that one coin. Or the parable of the, son, the, um, the wayward son, when he came back, he was found again in his family. The son was returned. Hagar went away, but God seeks her out. He found her. And when lost things are found, there is rejoicing. And this is a beautiful and good thing. When the angel of the Lord found her, he gives her, I find it really interesting. He gives her a hard task and an amazing blessing. So often these these two things are side by side in scripture, a hard task and a tremendous blessing. They're not opposites. Usually they, they, they contain, or they're contained within each other. The angel of the Lord tells her, I have just as many questions about this as I do some of the other stuff in this story, but the angel of the Lord tells her to go back to Sarai and to submit to her. Do what she tells you. Submit to this lady who can't stand you and is abusing you and is mad at you and treats you like garbage Go back and submit to this lady. A very hard task. And the blessing is that her descendants would be unnumberable. That they would be a lot of descendants. That not only that her son Ishmael, which by the way, Ishmael means God hears. I love the blessing that the angel of the Lord speaks over her. He would be a wild donkey of a man. He would not be subject to to mankind as she was. His future was better than hers. No one would rule over him and this blessing that she would have many descendants and that her son would be wild and free. She was not very uh, wild or free, but she was submitted to her mistress. This would have been a huge blessing heaped upon this mother. 
But not only that, the name of her son Ishmael means that she was heard by God. So don't you think when you're leaving that situation and you're walking away from somebody abusive, God heard her complaints. God heard why she needed to leave. He heard her frustration, might even heard her cursing as she walked away. He heard her complaints. God knows because he heard her. And then she does something that no one else in Scripture does. She names God. This is extremely powerful. She calls him El Rohi, and I don't know if I said that right. But this means the God who sees. And this is not just seen like, oh, yeah, you saw me there. But this is a significant, someone who is coming from the least likely to be seen, a slave, a foreigner, an outcast, a woman. None of these attributes in and of themselves lend to somebody being seen, and she is all of them. And yet, she's seen by God. She's heard by God, and she's also seen by God. And I love that God sees her, and that she names him the God that sees. That mean, it's not just looking upon, it means you see what's in my heart. You see what's in my mind. You're going to take care of me. You're giving me dignity and worth that no one else has. There's so much in this story that I won't get into and so much that is left unsaid either because of time or because immature rooms, immature ears in the room that wouldn't be able to handle the raw details of this story, which are probably my ears as well. I just, that's a lot. But the fact that God sees Hagar, that she recognizes that God saw her is monumental. It's monumental. It's earth shaking. It changes her life. It's so monumental that she names the name of God, the God who sees. And actually, it's more specific. It's not just God who sees in general. It's God who sees me. Hagar, he helps teach us that we cannot be hidden from God. That we can run, but we don't have to hide because it is God who is making us into his image. He sees us. He hears us. He knows us. The things that we are worthy, and he thinks that we are worthy of being seen. Even if we're a bit player in history, even if we are person walking dog number one, you know, like God still sees and knows and gives worth and dignity to our story. This is being seen, this being seen is someone who not only is recognized, but somebody that is worthy of taking note of. Worthy of taking note of. This is how God feels about us. This is how God feels about people on the margin. He sees us. He takes note of us. He sees what's in our heart. He sees what's in our mind. He lets us know that he loves us and that he, he cares for us. Even though we may have a hard task, we also have blessing as well from him. And I like to think of the angel of the Lord as Jesus. I am one of those that I, I, I'll buy into it. But the reason is because Jesus just keeps showing up all the time in my life, just as he does in the Old Testament. I feel like at times he keeps giving me difficult tasks, but there's also blessings as well, side by side. Jesus shows up not just in our life to take away our sin. He does that. Amen. And he takes away all of it, even the ones we'll commit this afternoon. But he tells us that even though we're seen, it is me who makes you holy through my blood. Jesus' broken body and his shed blood was because he saw us and he knew that we needed it. 
And I love that Hagar is in the Bible, and I'm grateful for Angie to point me to the scripture that I'd never really considered, to be honest. It's been a blessing to study and pray through and consider somebody who, honestly, I hadn't considered before that. And I love that, I love this. Hagar didn't perform or do anything great. She just was. She just was. She was herself. I mean, even some people might say, well, she even held Sarai in contempt, and that's not a good thing, and it's not a good thing. She just was. She was who she was, and it didn't matter what she did. God still heard her, and God still knew her, and even in that, she was seen, but not only just looked at, but she was known. And I love that we don't need to perform or do anything right to be seen by God. Being seen, uh, 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 being seen is not about being perfect or being right. Amen? It's not, it's not about being a leader or the main character in the story. Because even people behind the scenes get seen in God's story. And again, when he sees us, it's not just um, looking at us. He knows who we are. And Jesus sees us enough to love us. And he sees us enough to bless us. And I pray that we may receive his blessing. And I pray that we may feel seen by God because he truly is a God who hears us and he truly is a God who sees us. And may we learn that from Hagar. Lord, I pray, uh, first of all, I thank you that we can... Uh, that we can come and we can gather and we can be in this text. Lord, I, I would have never picked in this text until we preach Genesis 15 years from now. But Lord, I thank you for it. And I thank you what you've done in my life. And I pray that, Lord, you will just allow us to be seen, allow us to be heard. And not only, um, but that we may actually feel it, Lord, that we may feel like you see us, feel like you know us, feel like you love us, feel like you hear us. And so, Lord, we ask, that you will do these things, that even though we have difficult tasks, that you will also be there blessing us as well. In Jesus' name, amen.